Hello, hello. Welcome to For Book's Sake with Heather Roberts. And Veronica Adams. We are 1852 Media. Yes. And today we are going to talk about scammers, bad actors, and beyond in the publishing industry. Red flags. All sorts of red flags. And if you've been in this industry for more than a minute, you have seen some of these scammers pop up. You know, romance industry especially is a billion dollar industry. Like, I mean, it's several billion dollar uh, a year industry. And there's always somebody trying to take your hard earned money and not give you the services or product that, you know, you think you're getting. So we're going to give you some tips and tricks of how to avoid these types of folks and actually make sure that you're working with some reputable people in the industry because there are great people in the industry, right? Like, I mean, there are (coughs) ourselves included, but but also (laughs) I have, Oh my gosh, the things we have seen. I mean, and for indies in particular, or authors who are hybrid and have indie offerings in addition to their traditional books. The number of people out there who could potentially prey on you, trying to help you with the various pieces of getting an indie book from concept to market. Yes. It's just, there are just so many places along the way where you can fall into traps. And this is an unregulated situation. Like, very few things to protect you aside from whatever your agreement is with the service provider themselves. Like, I think that that's a big part. So like, let's talk about that first. So when somebody or when you approach somebody or somebody approaches you and you're going to enter into, into an agreement for services, whatever they right. may be, right? you should have some type of an agreement. I mean, absolutely. I mean, see some type of an agreement. So if nothing else, Policies and procedures posted on the website of the person or the company that you're attempting to negotiate work with. I mean, it depends on the situation and the type of service for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're scrolling on a pre or or a a website for pre-made covers, for example. Yeah. You know, you can purchase a pre-made cover off their website. There should be, you know, terms on their website that list returns or what are the next steps what exclusivity exclusivity licensing that sort of thing um you should be able to determine all of that before you even make the purchase right so that's something to you know look out for one thing so i'll give my red flags if there are no recommendations or referrals and the service provider is not willing to provide you with any recommendations or referrals, that is a huge red flag. Because I always joke that we're the progressive of like promotional marketing firms because I'm like, go out and talk to other people. Talk to our clients. Please. 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 Because frankly- Go compare us to other companies who do what we do. Go talk to this list of people who have worked with us for- some, in some cases, literally years. Yeah. I, I would love for you to do that. I frankly we'll prefer they don't do. don't work it. with us anymore. Yeah. Too. Like, I'll give you those people's names as well. Like, I want you to feel comfortable about our arrangement. Exactly. And like, yeah, exactly. Because frankly, I prefer that you go out and talk to people who've had experiences with us. That mm-hmm. way, you know, from an author perspective, yeah. exactly what the situation is. Because I can tell you all day long, you know, what services we're going to provide and Mm -hmm. how this or that is going to work. But without you actually talking to somebody in your shoes, sometimes, uh, you know, there can be a miscommunication or a misunderstanding, but Mm -hmm. oftentimes that clears it up and it's great. And I'd I'd rather you talk to somebody who's been a client of mine for seven years or even six months. But, you know, obviously the longer term clients have more experience with us. Sure. So... Yeah, if you're not getting any recommendations <laughs> or referrals or the person, listen, if the person is brand new, right, mm-hmm. brand new, then you- You're taking a chance on somebody who's just hung their shingle to do something. Yes, but you should know that. And the price mm-hmm. should be relative to the experience. Yes. yes. 
everyone deserves to get paid the value of their work, but also someone who's just cutting their teeth should not be charging you the same amount of money that someone who has a significant amount of experience. Correct. Should be charging you. I mean, our rates uh, when we were first starting in 2016 mm-hmm. are very different than our rates in 2023. Sure. And sure. why? Our services and offerings have changed yeah, over the years too. Absolutely. As we have, have grown and developed as a company. And as the market has shifted and changed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. As authors' needs have changed and we've had to yeah. slide out of certain spaces and into others. Absolutely. And I feel like that's also something you should look at. Are the offerings that are being provided by this service provider something you need in the current market? Is there some added value to your brand, uh, to your business for Mm -hmm. the current market as it exists? Have they always offered these services? Maybe they have been in business a long time, but these things that this is just something they've always offered, but the market doesn't really need it anymore. That's something to think about too. So, you know, these are, be critical thinkers, (laughs) you know, don't, don't just listen to somebody that says, oh, you need this and immediately go out and have to buy it. Are they charging you for things that you can do for yourself? That's true. And I don't like, I don't, okay. There is value in freeing up your time by delegating to somebody else. And, and a large part of our business is literally that exact thing. Exchanging time for money. Yeah, Exactly. But also, you have to understand, perhaps there are programs, software, other things at play here that someone's overcharging you for access to. Right. I have seen that a lot. I've seen that a lot, too. Using Publisher Rocket or Kalytics or, you know, things like that, and then charging you a whole lot more money for them to run those reports for you, then perhaps it would cost you to even buy access to Publisher Rocket or Kalytics yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so think about that. Like, what are you actually getting for Mm -hmm. the service that is being offered? Um, Because, yeah, I've seen some, you know, just to give an example, and I won't use company names, but uh, I've seen a company that offers, like, basically keyword recommendations, um, Mm -hmm. a metadata recommendations, an analysis, comps essentially um, for like a package of like $400. When really that's just a run through like Publisher Rocket and Kalytics. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty much what you're talking about. And so if you're, if listen, if you're just going to do a one-time thing and you're never like you're, you know, you just want to know where you stand, then maybe that's worth it to you. But you can go out and purchase these licenses to this this software. And if you're going to be wanting that type of thing over and over again, you can produce it yourself. Or you can hire a PA to produce it off of the software that you purchase. That would yes. then be cheaper. They could do it regularly for yes. every launch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, well, and I think that that is that is more to the point of the warning I was giving in this particular context because I have no issue running Publisher Rocket reports for anything or using Kalytics for a client, but I also want to give them more than what they're going to get just from using sure. those programs, right? right? Like our analysis. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And someone's experience in doing those things is absolutely worth paying for. Yeah. But if you're just getting a print off, you know, with with yeah. no additional tips or, you know, an in-depth analysis or a consultation about the data, I mean, there's really no added value there. And that's right. That that's absolutely that's a, a good point. Yeah, absolutely that's a, a good red point. Flag. And yeah. So there's that. I would say also another red flag is anybody offering you immediate results or like a magic pill for publishing. Guaranteeing you dollars or, yes. or say of or units sold. Yes. yes. Guaranteeing you yes. that. It, it's just not realistic in this market. I I have seen people put lots of money, lots of time, lots of effort into books and not selling anywhere near what our prediction was for right. you know our estimation, you know, for what we thought we were going to sell. And then similarly, you put the same amount into another book and it blows us all out of the water. 
Because right. the thing is with publishing, it's not just the money and time that you're putting into it. There's also luck and timing. And you cannot ever predict mm-hmm. luck and timing. Yeah. Anyone who says they have a magic bullet for either or both of those things is absolutely selling you snake oil. And, you know, there are, listen, there are two ways, in my opinion, this is all my opinion, (laughs) there are two ways to really, you know, make a career in this, in publishing. One is time and the other is money. So if you have a shit ton of capital to work with, just like with any business, right? This is not exclusive to publishing. If you have a shit ton of capital to work with and you can pump a whole lot of money into ads right up front, you can pump a whole lot of money into, you know, different marketing strategies, mostly advertising for your books, high, you know, high looking, um, high level covers. You're, you know, paying for the look of it all. Everything looks super streamlined, professional. You're paying for the high level everything. And you're running shit tons of ads. Are your books more likely to get higher traction and sales right out of the gate? Absolutely. Yes. Will you still be in the red if you only have one or two books out? Probably. That depends. It depends. I was actually just I was just thinking of a brand in particular, and I won't name names, but a brand where the author publishes maybe two or three times a year at most. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when I did some work for that brand, very profitable on that schedule, doing all of the things you just said. Yeah. Very profitable. It can be. Three books it a year. Absolutely. And just running lots of pay-per-click ads, buttoning up the uh, the visuals for the brand, the cover, the promotional graphics, all of those things. Really tight, high-quality stuff. Yeah custom cover photos and things like that, right? Yeah. Commissioned covers rather than pre-mades. Not that there's anything wrong with pre-mades, but also when you go out of your way to pay extra for a design that is unique to your brand, you you stand out. You do. You stand out in the crowd. Yeah. So yeah, that absolutely can be lucrative. It is it is is way more possible. It is way more possible. Mm -hmm. I put it way more likely. Right. The other one is time. If you just spend your time writing books, doing the marketing that you can afford, Mm -hmm. pumping it out over and over and over again, right? continually doing the hard work, grinding, grinding, hustling, Mm -hmm. then yes, you also can, uh, you know, be successful. It's the law of big numbers, right? Like eventually something is going to break. Now- I don't know when. A certain number of books to a certain number of dollars exists for a reason. Yes, that that does exist for a reason. And yeah, so you can absolutely do it that way too. Now, lots of people do a combination, right? A combination of those things um, because they don't have the huge capital numbers to begin with. And what, am I, what do I mean when I say huge capital numbers? I mean, I have known authors to spend $20,000, $50,000 on a release. Yes. On a Absolutely. single release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I'm talking about big capital numbers, that's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I mean, I know, I know a story. There is so much stuff that has happened in this industry. I, and again, I'm not going to name names. This is an old story too. So I don't think it'll be identifiable, but there is an author who put a million dollars into the marketing of a series that this author had and was releasing. The series became popular because shockingly, she put a million dollars into it. This is also when Facebook ads were becoming more popular and that that particular author figured them out and was obviously gaining traction off of them. This author then ended up selling the rights to that series to a publisher and the publisher unfortunately did not ask to see the advertising dollars spent in advertising the the book yes massive fumble massive fumble 
So here the publisher thinks that these books are just, you know, organically, organically popular. In high demand. And so the publisher purchases them. This author gets a seven-figure deal for the purchase of these titles. On top of all the money already made from the original million-dollar marketing investment. Yes. And then the publisher goes and republishes these titles and has for and there was another book coming out in the series. Mm-hmm. Well, the publisher did not put a million dollars or even, you know, a quarter of that. They didn't put in their advertising that be, budget. They did, that would be atypical. Yeah. Right. For them to make an investment like that, any of them. The publisher did not put a massive advertising investment to that level into the most recent release right. of that series. And so wouldn't you know it, that book did not sell like the others. <laughs> and it was a massive, when all of us looking from the outside was like, oh my God, that book just didn't sell like well at all. And why? Because they weren't advertising it. And why would the, why would the author advertise it anymore? They have their, they have their figure deal. They, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to invest my advance or my royalties from selling my rights to you back into advertising so you can make more money too. No, no. It's now your responsibility to market this book. You own the rights to it. Yeah. And was that a bad actor play? No. It it was just the publisher didn't do their due diligence. I mean, that's what that situation is. You know, so there's situations where I'm not saying that author is a bad actor. I'm just saying this is what happened. And you... I guess my biggest takeaway from that is you can't always believe what you see. Yeah. You know, just because you see that this book is popular doesn't mean that there's not something behind that that's making it. No idea what the mechanism behind the closed doors is to have that level of popularity. Correct. And in today's market, there are so many different things that could be at play. This sounds to me like a story from back in the day when really it was just Facebook yes. ads, probably. Yeah. Nowadays, you've got Facebook ads, but also Amazon ads and viral TikToks, yeah. all sorts of third-party newsletter marketing options. Tons um, of marketing options now. Just cross-promotion with similar authors mm-hmm. or authors who carry larger audience weight than you do as a brand. I, just so many things that could be going on yeah, leading to a book being as successful as um, the original volumes in that series were. Yeah. I mean, there's so many authors that are successful now because they got a helping hand from a very established author. by. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, that established author with a huge following, supporting yeah. them and promoting their books mm-hmm. in their newsletter, in their groups, et cetera, because they're friends, yep. what have you. One of the most wonderful things about, in particular, the romance community yeah. is it can be a little bit clicky like high school yeah, was. can be. But also there's a lot of authors helping authors. Can be very supportive. Way, yeah. I love Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. I'm just, you know, it's just, you can't say, you don't know how that person got there. You can't point to one definitive service or something and go, this is the thing that made that author a household name and super wealthy. And so now, you know, you're going to dump a whole bunch of time and money into pursuing that too. And maybe there were other things at play that you weren't aware of. Which is so. why it oftentimes you hear advice on the internet. And here we are giving <laughs> advice on the internet. But specifically, if somebody's like, well, I did this so you could too. No, not necessarily. There are so right. many variables at play here. So just because somebody was able to do that doesn't mean that you also can do that. It's sort of, to me, it's sort of like losing weight. When people are like, oh, well, I lost the weight, so you can too. Not everybody's, everybody's body chemistry is different. You know what I mean? Like sure. genetics sure. are different. People have different health things that are different. So no, right. just because you lost the weight doesn't mean I can too in that same way, in the same way that you did it. Um, maybe something else would work for me better. So beware the service provider selling you diet pills. Correct. Correct. Um, let's see. What else? Oh, the next up on my list is paying to publish your book. Oh, 
Yes. Let's talk about the Vanity Press. Yeah. That is what they're yeah. called. Um, if you if you Google Vanity Press and ask for a definition, it is a publisher that requires that you pay them to publish your book. So that's why it's called a vanity press, because essentially you're doing, you're publishing for vanity. So there's hybrid, there's people that call themselves hybrid publishers that are, in my mind, still vanity presses, because you still have to pay them to publish the book. The only difference is they do actually occasionally provide you with services as well. So you get something um, for publishing the book. Aside from the ability to say that you are a published had a author, book published yes. by a company rather than by yourself, right? I mean, in listen, there's a market for everything. Are they doing different things? Different things are important to different people. Is I would rather make money yeah. than have some sort of appearance of legitimacy. But I understand why having a publishing contract and an actual publisher gives you, you know, something that that sense of legitimacy and that that's why they exist i mean are they illegal no i'm not saying this is not a this is not an illegal type situation right but this is a situation of you don't have to do that (laughs) you can you can do all this stuff on your own or you can hire out those pieces for way less than what you would be paying this publisher to publish your book for you so think about that. I mean, if you just want to throw some money at the problem and walk away, I, for some of the prices that these places charge, I'd rather you take three quarters of that and put it into advertising. For sure. And we can do the rest of it on on the other budget. I mean, good heavens. So, yeah. Let's see. My next one is a, a DM cold solicitation. Nothing I hate more. I hate it when people slide into the DMs. Nothing I hate more. Like, there's there's the occasional, maybe, it's possible, company that could slide into your DMs to try to solicit to you for, for business and it's legitimate and not a scam. I mean, they might actually provide a service. I don't, I don't know. I haven't really seen it. <laughs> but... Usually, they're going to charge you way more than what you're going to get for, for, for sure. it. And that's that's if they're even a legitimate company. Correct. Because I have, in, in all of the years that we've been doing this, I have probably pursued correspondence with the direct message instigators. If I've done it once, I've done it 50 times for various clients over the years. Yeah. Someone's curious, right? Yeah. A service provider slides into their DMs and is like, hey, we do this, would love to collaborate, or we offer this, check us out. And they pass it on to me for verification, right? Like, hey, Veronica, what do you think of this? Does oh, yeah. this look legit? I'm a little concerned. Mm-hmm. Like, handle those kinds of inquiries regularly for clients. Same. I do a quick analysis based on, you know, the internet presence. And then I volunteer to go ahead and correspond with the direct messenger just to see where it goes and to get more information. So the client doesn't have to worry about it. And if it's legit and I, or I think it might be legit, then the client and I can discuss whether or not we pursue a collab. (sighs) I bet 80% of the time I get no response whatsoever. Right. Once they know that there's somebody else working for them that's trying to vet right. the situation, right? crickets. Exactly. They're literally just there to find some way to scam you out of money. Get a credit card number, a PayPal yeah. account, an email address, any anything they can do to take some money from you and run. Right. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I, I deal with this. So we also represent um, uh, some influencers like TikTok influencers yeah. things like content that creators, yeah. content creators for management doing you know brand deals things like that right, right, right and right. this is the main thing that we do for them so in that situ- situation when you're not talking about an author situation when you're talking about a an influencer situation they live off of the sliding into the DMs right sure this is sure. and so oftentimes it can be a legitimate scenario but weeding through that mess is something else. 
I mean, I can't tell you how many times I send back an email or message saying, you know, great, thank you so much. Like, here's the information about this person, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Here are the prices, et cetera. And then suddenly it's crickets because it's, oh, oh, they're, they're, you know, represented by somebody who's not going to let me get one over on them. Or this is going to cost me more than I thought it was. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's why we exist (laughs) because we will do the vetting for you. Right. So that you don't get, you know, put yourself in a situation that is going to be a nightmare or just a waste of time, a massive waste of time. Um, That's the biggest thing. So yeah, just be very wary. So when we do go and vet companies, I mean, I will look to see how long have they been in business. And like we were saying before, like, it's, or it's, do they even have a web presence yeah. in, in general? Or is this just an individual sending you an email or a direct message soliciting your business? Right. And if it is, then you need to start asking some questions. You know, who are, who do you represent? Like, who have you worked with before? Um, right. How long have you been in business? Like, what types of services do you provide? Like, you know, all of these questions. How do you accept the average investment that your clients make into your services? How do you accept payment? Mm -hmm. If they're asking you to Venmo them, Mm -hmm. do not do that. What are your terms and conditions? Can I get a refund? What am I obligated to engage your services for other things? Like, unless you truly trust the person, I would not use Venmo. And the answer, okay, so I will give my answer as to why Venmo is not a legitimate business app because it's not a legitimate business app. Venmo <laughs> is is meant My opinion is simply just this fact you all. Yes. Ven Okay, Venmo is an offshoot of PayPal, my friends. Okay, let's right. let's go with this. Right. PayPal is meant for business use. You can send invoices, etc. PayPal has insane fees for use of their invoices. And their terms of service, just so everyone knows, PayPal's terms of service do not allow you to put that PayPal fee onto the consumer. So you cannot charge them the PayPal fee um, for service that you're providing. You cannot pass that along. Whereas in like other business practices, you can pass on a credit card fee or something of the like if you're using a different service, you know, financial transaction platform. So with PayPal, the service provider is having to eat like 4% of whatever that amount is, which adds up because we used to use PayPal. There are plenty out there and, who are just adding 4% to the total and not telling you that, but correct, yes. Correct. But if you specifically add it in there, you know, you can't do that. And so that's fine. But like my point being is the the... The person, they, the service provider, they are, you know, having to eat those fees. So what a lot of, what some people have done is they're like, oh, we'll just Venmo me because then, because you used to be able to do friends and family on PayPal and then PayPal locked that down. If you have a business account, you no longer can send payments, you know, through friends and family so that you can, you can't avoid the fee. And they also came out with Venmo. So Venmo is essentially for use for friends and family. That is what it's for. Venmo is supposed to be the friends and family option when you're just trying to reimburse somebody for dinner or, you know, pay for, you know, something, odd jobs around the house, what have right. you. It's not meant to be a business app. <laughs> it is not meant for like running a massive business off of. Right. You know, the occasional thing. Like I, my son occasionally gets uh, tutoring sessions for SAT from, you know, a, a kid. Uh, I'll Venmo him some, you know, a couple dollars for, for the what he provides. He's not running. I Venmo your kid for his birthday. Yes. Like he's not running. This what I'm saying. This kid's not running some right. huge business. He's occasionally right. doing some tutoring as a hobby. Right. You know, like it's, yeah. It is not meant for business platforms. So if they are asking for Venmo, be wary. Because also the reason that you should be wary is you can't get refunded on Venmo. Your protections 
for fraud and or for an incomplete transaction are so restricted on Venmo. Yeah. Like your recourse, if you don't get what you paid for. You're out of that money. I mean. Probably. You're like in its entirety. Yeah. At least with PayPal, you can open up a dispute If, you know, you're paying through a different transaction, like we use QuickBooks now, QuickBooks invoicing, then you're dealing with, you know, normal business transactions like your bank, you can file a dispute with your bank, we can have a whole thing. Mm. Like it's, that's, that's a normal business situation. Right. As opposed to, you know, you're never going to see that. If they disappear, you're never seeing that money again. Right. Same goes for cash transaction apps. Yes. Um, Zelle, what's the other one? Zelle, um... What's, uh, there's another one that starts with a Z. I think so. I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. But yeah, anyone who's not using a professional payment system, red flag. Ask yourself Not necessarily someone I don't want to do business with, but also like I need to understand why they just want me to like transfer money to them with, you know, basically no protections after that. Correct. Which... You know, can be circumvented by a contract for services, of course. Exactly. If you have something in writing about what you're getting from this person or this company, that protects you a little bit. Yeah. Certainly gives you something that you can take to like small claims court or, you know, your local civil branch of government and ask a a judge or a magistrate to uh, force them to pay up. But that's a time consuming and expensive process most of the time. Yep. And so if somebody just wants you to transfer them money without giving you anything like that to protect you. Yeah. I'm probably not doing business. I'm with not them doing myself. business with them either. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you got, you got to think about that mm-hmm. and think about, you know, how, how long have they been in whatever industry? Do you, have you looked at these recommendations? Have you talked to other right. people who have used them? Have they gotten the services that they contracted for? Is there mm-hmm. a contract? I mean, it really depends. What are you paying for, right? Right. Like, for example, we have contracts. We have contract-based yeah. clients. Then we have a la carte clients, people that do individual services. It's listed on the website what you get right. for your service. The terms of that service are right there on the website. So when you hit the payment button, you know exactly what we owe you. Yes. And there's there's no dispute. It is what it is. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes you'll get people that want a refund for whatever, and as a business owner, you should provide that refund if they're yeah. not getting the service that. Listen, I'm I'm happy to do that it. if it's if it's not what you thought you wanted, or it turns out it's you know whatever. Like let's yeah, let's make it right and both move forward. Exactly, there's no sense in in you know getting caught up in any sort of unnecessary disputes about stuff like that. Exactly. So you you want a real business? That's what you want. <laughs> you want to work with real businesses? Yeah. So that's why payment method really does come into play here mm-hmm. um, because it also shows how that person is thinking of the services that they're providing. Are they right. treating it as a real business or is this just a side hobby that they just decided to start doing last week? Right. What are the credentials of the person that is providing the services for you? Are they trained in any way? Do they have any sort of professional background? And listen, you can gain knowledge off of experience. I did not go to marketing school, right? I went to law school. Do I think, and you did too, (laughs) do I think that a lot of uh, what we learned in law school uh, is transferable to this industry? Uh, Shockingly, yes. (laughs) 110%. Shockingly, yes. Yeah. But if you are hiring someone to you know, do some sort of cover design and they don't have... Did they just buy a license to Photoshop yesterday or have they been making graphics and covers for... A decade or whatever. Six months or 10 years. Yeah. Whatever your criteria is. Right. Yeah. Or do you... you, Maybe they have only been doing it for, you know, several, like a month, but they're... But you love their style style. and their prices are competitive. Like, go for it. It's... Right. Mm-hmm. So just know what you're getting. Do a little due diligence here, just like right. that publisher should have done <laughs> for that particular book series. A million dollar mistake. Yes. And, you know, perhaps they made it up on the back end. Who knows? But do your due diligence, my friends. Do your due diligence. And also don't just assume that because what you're seeing, we all know that social media media is a curated experience. 
right? Totally. People are not putting out their worst selves, usually. So keep that in mind. You don't know what's underneath. You don't know what's happened. You don't know how they got there. So don't necessarily try to compare yourselves to them. Right. You know, compare, comparison is the thief of joy. It truly is. Amen. Especially in this industry. It really is. Totally. Uh, let's see. What other, what other uh, red flags are there? Can you think of any other ones? Oh, my favorite is the, the group project box set anthology collection. The, the bad acting organizer. Okay. Yes. Oh yes. So especially for indies, but also for trads and hybrids, you're going to probably, if you haven't already, you're going to find yourself in the company of people who want to organize anthologies or group projects where everybody writes one book in a series and they're interconnected in some way. And the idea is cross promotion or the idea is to hit a bestseller list or the idea is to raise money for charity. I love those projects as a marketer and a promoter and a publicist. I love them. They're so much fun to work on. But as authors, you have to be so careful about who you hitch your wagon to yep, and how well organized the project is, period. There, are, there have been tens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of these projects over the years that I'm aware of oh, yeah. that have resulted in no published anthology or someone taking the money that's charged for you to buy into these projects because- Oftentimes there's a fee for you to participate to cover the costs of publishing, Mm -hmm. advertising and marketing in some cases, and someone will disappear with that money and you'll never see them again. Yeah. It happens frequently. Frequently. Too often. Far too often. And listen, having a buy-in for an anthology is not on its face a scammy tactic. No. No, that's standard practice. that's standard. Uh, we, that is standard practice. Like we are running for, I'll do a quick promo right now. We're running yes. an anthology right now. It's on pre-order on all platforms. It's called On the Line, a hockey anthology. All proceeds will be donated to After Action, uh, which is a nonprofit that also, in full disclosure, is founded by my husband, uh, Mikey Roberts. And I am the treasurer of, and Veronica is actually also on the board of directors. A board member of, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, and it is to help trauma survivors uh, have better economic outcomes after their trauma um, as they survive, as they uh, continue on with their treatment. Uh, I could go into why all of, you know, all of the ins and outs of the nonprofit as it is building, but essentially we are running a anthology to help raise money for this nonprofit. And when we created the anthology, we were just as upfront with all of the authors that we invited to this anthology, explained to them uh, what After Action was, uh, how we are connected with After Action. And there was no buy-in because we, uh, 1852 Media, are donating the costs of Everything publishing of and publishing marketing. and marketing. Right. That is our contribution to this. And um, the least we could do is people do. who are directly involved with the cause Correct. itself that we're supporting. So that is why there is uh, no no fee in that regard for authors right. to participate uh, here. But if we were running something for you know someone else or what have you, like it would not be uncommon for us to charge a fee for the cost of promotion and marketing, especially if we are doing the cover, if we're running all of the advertising, if we're providing access to all of our lists, if we are... I am am currently in the process of doing the marketing for uh, a charity anthology that releases in September. And that's exactly it. We charged a flat fee for me to do work over a certain period of time, specific promotional work related to social media marketing, yes. and then also advertising once the anthology is live. Right. So the the actual money that a, an organizer will collect often goes to services like us, goes to actual right. digital advertising, goes to cover right. design, formatting. Formatting. Yeah, all of that, which is completely legitimate to yep. do. So don't be dissuaded if you see that up front. 
However, you should find out if that organizer has done this before, because let me tell you, organizing an anthology is not like talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) This one has been lovely. All of the authors have been lovely to work with. Everybody has their stories in. Mm -hmm. It's, it's been great. I have been parts of anthologies that have been like this, where it's been lovely, and some that have been absolute fucking shit shows. The shit shows make the best stories. They do. They're all said and done. Oh my God. But I, authors get in disagreements. Mm -hmm. People can't agree on stuff. The biggest problem is when Uh there's nobody like really in charge and nobody who's the final decision maker and they put everything up for group discussion you can't do that that is that is you can't do that no someone has to be in charge yeah someone has to be in charge someone has to be the final decision maker in these types of situations and that person should be trustworthy and have a track record of being communicative and honest right and you should at the very least get the occasional update as to what the pre-order numbers are and yep. what, you know, then once the money there does come in. There should be some methods for communication, right. where, whether it's a Facebook group or a newsletter list, like you should be hearing from the organizer regularly. Yes. You should know what's happening <laughs> mm-hmm. or at least have, you know, if you do, if you want to know what's happening and you reach out, mm-hmm. you should get a response as to what's happening. I think anthologies are going to be less, you know, frequent than they used to be because of the change in the USA Today rules. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because that was we had we had one last year that got burned that way. Actually, we did some marketing for one, and initially the goal had been for them to try and hit the USA Today list with it, and then USA Today closed the list in the middle of the pre-order period. Oh, I felt so became, bad for those people. It it became impossible for them to make their goal. And a lot of the authors were rightfully very upset about that. Yeah. Super, super disappointing. But also not the organizer's fault, not our fault as the marketing company. I mean, it's just, it becomes impossible for you to achieve that goal. The next goal is, all right, let's make as much money as we can. Yeah. That's why luck and timing come into play. You can't Liter- you, literally, you literally that's a classic can't example. Yeah, you cannot predict this stuff. Yeah. You can't. So <laughs> yeah, very good example yeah. of that situation happening. Unless another list comes along or the, the criteria for one of the current lists changes, anthologies will probably become less frequent. Less frequent. Yeah. Uh-huh. And mostly for charity, probably. I mean, some to make money too, I'm sure. 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 But if that was the situation, I'd throw it into KU. Well, and there are a couple of brands out there that have established anthologies. They do one seasonally or at least annually and readers expect them. And those will probably continue. But those are also, again, Mm well-established, organized by someone who runs a small press or has a lot of personal experience publishing for themselves. Um, I don't think those will disappear. I don't think so either. But, but yeah, we won't see as many as we used to because right. of the change with the USA Today rules, for sure. Absolutely. I will say, speaking of bad actor organizers, the same goes for signing event organizers. Yes. Thanks for saying it. Yes. Yes. I cannot tell you how many horror stories I have heard of, you know, organizers who collected mm-hmm. all of this money in table fees and ticket sales and et cetera, et cetera. And then to find out that there is no contract at the event venue. Right. And right. then the person just absconds with the money. After people make hotel reservations yes. and Flights. reserve plane tickets, yes. sometimes that are non-refundable, which I guess my best advice <laughs> there is always make sure you buy refundable airline tickets for your business travel. But true. Yeah. I have seen it time and time and time again. So many people heard that way. Time again. So if you're trying out to go to a new event, please look into the event organizer. Please do. Ask questions. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with somebody trying to get into the industry to try to run an event. But are they just new to event planning? Have they been in the industry for a while and they're just, you know, trying something new in event planning and are otherwise a trustworthy human? 
Or did they just mm-hmm. jump into this industry and see a money grab and decide that they were going to try to, you know, do yeah. that? Yeah. So look at those things. Same for book box services. Yes. So those first became really popular. <clears throat> so many little ones popped up mm-hmm. and like they, they were gone as quickly as they got started because the organizers were, they were just cash grabbers. Right. So, Period. and let's, let's talk about book boxes for a little bit. Like what is and yeah. what isn't scammy in a book box, right? Mm. So obviously if you subscribe to a book box and you never receive the box, that's a scam. Yeah. That's a, that's Absolutely. a money cash grab. Call your, call your credit card company. Yeah. As a consumer. Yeah. Authors, I've seen a whole bunch of talk on TikTok about like how, well, you, if they should be paying you for the books or paying royalties. Listen, there's different business models here. Yes. And that does yes. want having a business model that does not require payment for the books where the author is just sending the books to the book box does not mean it's a scam. That is just no. a different no, business fact, model. If, if someone I will not name who runs a huge, well-known book box calls me and says, I want this client that you work with paperbacks for my next, we're going to give her as many as we can come up with, period, because of the visibility and the reach of that. The exposure alone is worth the, the giving or gifting. Yeah. There, print copies and of the book box. there are absolutely time where exposure doesn't pay the bills. And then there are times yeah. when exposure does. You, you make a calculated decision yes. to go ahead and invest in something because there will be a return for it. And you need to know, you need to be able to tell the difference. And so not all book boxes that have that type of business model are schemes. Yeah, that, that's an exception rather than the rule, yeah. I think, with book boxes. But there are a couple of those that exist. For sure. For sure. And there are some where, you know, they promise one thing and then don't deliver on it time and time and time and time and time again. So that's not necessarily a scam. It's more of a bad business practice. So, I mean, you can call it whatever you want, but you should be getting probably a waste of your waste of your time and money. That's what we'll call it. So I wouldn't necessarily – a scam to me is when you're not getting anything for, you right. know, what you've – When someone's using you for their own gain and you get absolutely nothing in return Correct. That to me is a complete scam. Mm-hmm. And there are certainly bad actors though, bad business models, yeah. um, you know, bad practices for sure that I've seen. So, you know, what, read the reviews. This is – reviews are for consumers. Reviews are yeah. for readers. Go look at previous boxes and see which authors were included and reach out to those authors and ask them about their experience with this particular book box. Yeah. W- would they do it again? Are they planning to do it again? Was it a positive were there experience? Any things, yeah. Were there any things they wish had been done differently? Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, because there's so many variations of book boxes now too, of like what, as an author, you know, are you just yeah. sending books that you have on your shelf that you have in your own inventory? Um, or are they creating a brand new cover? Is that, you know, what's involved here? You know, what are you providing them the license to use your material for X, Y, Z? You know, how long do they get the rights to it? Things like that. So you got to really look at these terms and conditions and decide if it's going to benefit you. Uh, even if there's, you know, no money up front to you, is it going to benefit right. you in the long run? We talk about, we were just talking with our 17 year old son this morning about ROI and about different investments and short-term investments yeah. and long-term investments. And I'm not talking about the stock market. I'm talking about in business, in life, because you can apply these things to all different things in life um, sure. is, you know, doing X going to give you a return? What What are you expecting? What is the return that you want? There's so many things in life that are that. Way. Right. Partnerships, friendships. Friendships, everything. Exactly. Yeah. So what type of return are you expecting? Right. And then is it going to give you that? Yeah. Is it going to be a long-term or a short-term return? Do you want to invest in that? Yeah. I mean, is maybe, that even something maybe, you want to do? Maybe the, maybe the return is guaranteed. But what you have to do to get it isn't necessarily something that you're comfortable with or that's feasible for you. Right. So these are all things that you need to look at when you are evaluating whether this is an opportunity that you want to come across. 
in addition to first vetting them and finding out, is, is this even a legitimate company? Right. Is this even a real thing? Yeah, I can't tell you how many times, how many times uh, I get emails from clients. Is is What is this company? Is this real? Yeah. You know, because they've gotten whatever email in their inbox. Right. And then I go and look them up and, oh, yeah, this is real. Okay, cool. Haven't heard of them. They're new. That's great. Yeah. Or, oh, no, yeah. definitely not real because, you know, I so many uh, things that can come up for to flag that. Oh, yeah. My favorite is when it's very obvious that they are international and simply setting things up to like collect your financial information somehow yeah. and rob you blind. Yeah. The, the poor syntax or word choice that doesn't match. And you can tell you can pretty much tell is not a native English speaker or something. Yeah. Which doesn't immediately discount it, but can that's the, can no. be like, if no, there's, of course not. if there's an email that is just really poorly written and looks like it mm-hmm. was run through Google translate is I think pretty much is yeah. what you're referring to. Yes, that is absolutely. That is definitely a red flag. Like you, and you can tell when you read those. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you gotta you gotta make sure. Gotta do a little vetting here. <laughs> but totally. all right. Well, what is our evergreen marketing tip of the week? Woo! We're gonna talk. Okay, so <sighs> this week I would like to encourage everyone to leverage all of their options for paid placements on social media. Okay. We've talked about pay-per-click ads, but if you didn't know, and I know some people don't know, you do have the opportunity to sponsor your regular content and boost how far it's seen on certain social media platforms, the metaverse in particular. Yes. That's, that's available to you. So when you have a really, really well-performing piece of content, even if it's not necessarily promotional in nature, you can spend a few bucks to boost it and send it out there so more people see it. And you should absolutely take advantage of that. Yeah. During pre-order periods, Mm -hmm. you know, during a sale, whatever the case may be. Even if it's just like a spicy excerpt with a really sexy graphic because you write romance. Send it out there. Yeah. No, absolutely. Because the more... Take advantage of those. Yeah. The the more that you're seen, the, the more likely it is somebody's going to come and check you out. Absolutely. So. Or click a link that maybe is included in your post. Yep. Yep. To the retailer or retailers where your book is available for sale or to your own store. Yes, your own store. That is the key. I love the your own I store. I love your Emphasis own store. Emphasis on the your own store. <laughs> <laughs> Can we say that enough? Yeah. All righty. Well, that was for book's sake this week. Until next time. If I could hit the button. <laughs> it's a stupid button, man. Ugh. <sighs>